and welcome to the ID Talk podcast. My name is Peter Cantor, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World, the internet's leading resources for biometrics and digital identity news, analysis, and leadership. Today on ID Talk, we are digging into the topic of behavioral biometrics and analytics, and that's why I'm happy to welcome Ayelet Bigger-Levine, Vice President of Marketing for Biocatch. In conversation with Susan Stover, Vice President of Digital Content for Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World, Bigger Levine sheds light on the demand for new approaches to fraud detection and why organizations ought to consider adopting advanced behavioral biometrics. The discussion turns to the threat of social engineering scams and how behavioral technologies can thwart them before diving into some of the more popular use cases for the modality. The interview concludes with insight into why behavioral biometrics are gaining popularity, as demonstrated in the results of the 17th annual Fine Biometrics Year in Review. It's a fascinating conversation about a very interesting technology, so without further ado, I'm pleased to present Biocatch's Ayelet Bigger-Levine in conversation with Susan Stover on the ID Talk podcast. Welcome to ID Talk. It's great to have you here. It's great to be on. Thank you, Susan. In a recent blog post, Biocatch called attention to the rising threat of digital fraud. What is happening in the industry that requires organizations to consider new approaches to fraud detection? So that's a really um, fascinating topic in my mind. You know, where there's a lot of talk about digital transformation, offering more and more services that are available to customers or organizations at, at the right time. Um, with mobility and kind of consumerization of uh, user experience. Um, and I think opportunities like open banking are really opening that up even further when it comes to financial institutions, really being able to custom tailor offerings to users based on big data analytics and really offering services to customers when they need them. There's also a lot of analysis, you know, with regards to generation acceptability of these types of services, but overall it's really about a better cause, better financial management, you know, saving time, inspiring, managing money, all of these great opportunities on one hand, but at the same time with all this great business and great opportunity anytime, anywhere, digital identity threats continue to evolve. And I call them the three C's, convenience, criminal, and compliance. So from a convenience perspective, we really do have that expectation of a frictionless, seamless experience where um, services are available anytime, anywhere. So we need to support that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. At the same time, criminal activity really continues to evolve with a growing threat landscape, more and more digital identities consuming services, and their modes of operation also continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. And third pillar is, is compliance, where we see more and more privacy regulations and consent lifecycle management regulations. But there are also cases where regulatory requirements are driving um, innovation in the space, driving security like PSD2 in Europe, whereas what we see in the U.S. is is kind of market drivers to create all these services where, you know, things like security are not necessarily regulated in the whole ecosystem, but more on the financial institution side. So these are things to consider when we look at the landscape and and the need to create solutions in the space. Absolutely. And what are the most common types of fraud threats today? And why are they difficult for traditional big data dependent security platforms to prevent? It's interesting. We, we, you know, starting in 2003, 
Uh, we saw phishing scams, and then that started the whole era of credential harvesting and, and uh, you know, uh, private information being scattered all around there. And then controls were put in place to secure against that. And then we saw Trojans starting to create men in the middle attacks, uh, grabbing device information, and then men in the browser attacks. Uh, we've also seen with the emergence of multi-factor authentication, fraudsters looking to grab authentication controls, so starting by you know social engineering to grab OTP, SIM swap to grab SMS messages. And more recently, um, in the past few years, we've seen the emergence of um, more sophisticated Trojans and even social engineering scams to start creating remote access tool attacks where um, the, the the user is tricked into or you know, uh, with, with a Trojan, there's a remote access tool installed on the device. So after the user will log into their account, someone will remotely take over that account and start you know, funneling money out of the account. And then we also see what we call deep social engineering voice scams. So it could be you know, um, someone calling to tell the user that they need to funnel all their money to a different account. And they really use different means of um, psychological coercion, let's call it, to trick users into either providing information or funneling money. And those are really, really hard to detect. And you, know, you asked about big data companies, and a lot of the controls today rely on knowing the user or their device. But there are some use cases like account opening where we don't know the user, we've never seen their device before. So how can we put controls in to protect against account opening fraud? Mm -hmm. And you know, with use of synthetic ID or, or real identities, you know, the, all the information is out there. So these are really tricky. And to really solve for those use cases, we need to rethink the approach uh, on protecting those use cases. Right, because organizations may have controls in place. Why do they need to consider behavioral biometrics? Right, so if we you know, look at all these attacks that I laid out, so let's think about the evolution of the security industry. And it really is that arms race, so it does relate to these attacks that I talked about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with, with the personal information being out there for a while, uh, organizations, you know, if we think about factors of authentication or how we verify users, uh, we look at, you know, what we know, what the user knows, their personal information, but we've established that that's all out there, breached, you know, fished or whatnot. So that's not a reliable factor of authentication anymore. The next one is something you have device or, you know, but we talked about that, that, you know, if we've seen IP or browser intelligence solutions and then device intelligence solutions, those are now also under attack with the means to grab or spoof location or device ID or replay that. And then we've seen the emergence of activity monitoring tools. And those are kind of fraudsters have built, have circumvented that by understanding the rules that these systems go after in terms of the application controls. And then there are malware detection tools. But in, with the case of malware detection tools, the fraudsters simply create malware, you know, Trojan variants. So it's really tricky. And now with social engineering scams, which, you know, we can talk more about, they're really, instead of, you know, running in that arms race, what we need to do is really take a different look at the problem. And what behavioral biometrics does, it, it takes an approach that, holistic approach to distinguish between users and fraudsters by looking at the unique physical and cognitive traits of the user. So what we do is we look at 
user device interaction, like how users um, press the keyboard or use the keyboard or, or mouse clicks and movements, or if it's a mobile device, swipes on the device and, and pressing it. Look at those physical traits, as well as cognitive, even unconscious choices on how they navigate through applications to be able to identify the users or the patterns. So we talked about earlier about account opening fraud and how complicated it is to detect because we don't know the user. But we are able to see very clearly patterns of genuine user activity and fraudster user activity when it comes to account opening. And we're also able to see very distinguished patterns of genuine user activity when it comes to account takeover, as well as being able to profile users because with account takeover, these are users that we know. So, so that's why behavioral biometrics is really very effective because instead of you know, looking at, is it this attack or that attack? What we look at holistically is, is this a genuine user type behavior or is this a fraudster type behavior? And we can clearly distinguish between the two, whether it's an automated attack or a manual attack. Can you take a moment to just let me know what the difference between basic behavioral biometrics and advanced behavioral biometrics is and uh, how does that different approach impact detection capabilities for this technology? Behavioral biometrics has been around for a while, and um, the premise is really, you know, looking at those elements that I talked about, like how someone uh, uses their keyboard, or what are the patterns, what are the key combinations, mouse clicks or mouse movement, do you scroll or do you use the mouse wheel, things like that. So the basic behavioral biometrics will collect that data and look at things like is the user you know uh, using control app uh, alt control to context switch or are they using advanced key strokes or keyboard function keys to perform you know look at developer tools things like that that's what we consider to be table stakes and basics so you know all the vendors that uh, claim uh, to use behavioral biometrics, we expect them to have those very basic common behavior or common patterns understanding. But advanced behavioral biometrics takes behavioral um, biometrics to the next level and understands behavioral intent. So really driving those insights to understand the user intent and emotional state. Because there are some attacks that are so tricky that in order to detect them, you really need to identify the very, very subtle changes within the session. So it requires that continuous assessment throughout the session, not only when there are activities like payment, login, change address, but really continually look at the user activity within the session to detect those subtle changes. So understand if the user is distracted, if what they're doing is purposeful, if they're anxious, hesitant, and really that Understanding that insight is what enables us to detect the most sophisticated types of attacks. I thought it was so interesting at the Money 2020 USA show, I saw a presentation by BioCatch, which really physically showed, you know, what is a, you know, a, an account takeover versus an actual user. And it was by the end of it, you could just so clearly see the differences. So it, it, it is really interesting. BioCatch empowers a seamless and secure digital experience by activating the power of human device interactions. Organizations use BioCatch to significantly reduce online fraud and protect against a variety of cyber threats, while applying actionable intelligence to protect and acquire more customers. 
With an unparalleled patent portfolio and deployments at major financial institutions and global enterprises spanning over 90 million users to date, BioCatch has established itself as the industry leader. For more information, please visit www.biocatch.com or reach out via email to info at biocatch.com. And now, back to the podcast. We touched on this before, but it it is quite fascinating how successful social engineering scams are even in 2020. And it makes sense if a bad actor convinces a victim to authenticate a transaction for them, even traditional biometric or multi-factor security is ineffective. But behavioral biometrics does offer a solution. How can technologies like biocatches prevent sophisticated social engineering scams? Yeah, and, and it's it's really fascinating. I can share a personal story where um, someone called me and they claimed to be, you know, from the IRS. And being in the space, knowing these types of attacks, I knew exactly that, you know, I knew this was a scam right away. But I just wanted to see what are what they are after. They asked me for my, you know, why are you calling? I said I just pressed one in your call system. And they asked me to write first and last name. So I made up a first and last name. They asked for my last four digit of the social. So I provided some, you know, just random four digits. And then they started gradually to scare me. Initially, it was just, oh, let me look up. Oh, yes, I see some activity in your account. At the end, they were talking about money laundering and criminal activity in Texas and, you know, associated with my account. And they said, okay, let's, I believe you. They said, it's a recorded line and we believe you. But they wanted to be able to distinguish between the criminal activity and my legitimate activity. So in order to get that, they asked for my financial information. And at some point, I thought I got it. And and the thing is, they managed to scare me. Although I knew that that I provided fake information, the psychological effect, being in the space, being an expert on this, still managed to get to me. So imagine someone who's not. So social engineering scams are very, very powerful. And a technique that they use to call someone and force them into transferring money in real time while they're guiding them through the banking application, telling them to add up an E and transfer all of their money to a new account, which is really the fraudster's account. Mm -hmm. So the challenge here in detection and with traditional controls is this is the legitimate user performing activity. So they're on their device. They have the ability to pass all means of multi-factor authentication. And there's really no way to detect this, but there is. And I talked about this before. Once we are able to go beyond the basic behavioral biometrics and really elevate the understanding to what is the user intent. And we've seen that users who make these transfers are hesitant in certain places. Uh, they might be on the on a call during the mobile banking session. Um, and it's really, you know, there are many, many different indicators here. And each and every indicator by itself is really weak. But the collection of you know, hundreds of indicators really that we look at combined, you know, powered by machine learning to really analyze the situation that is able to provide um, the holistic solution. And just to share some numbers with social engineering scams, actually, it's really interesting to see the effectiveness of a biocat solution here. And uh, we had a case where we work with a top five uh, U.S. retail bank. So one of the top five banks. And they had social engineering scams and we were able to deploy the solution. And the surprising factor was we had 100% accuracy. So no false positives 
and we say um, in the first three weeks over $400,000. So that's really, really uh, an advanced capability that is very effective with one of the most trending, let's call it, fraud attack types of our day. Biocatch empowers a seamless and secure digital experience by activating the power of human device interactions. Organizations use Biocatch to significantly reduce online fraud and protect against a variety of cyber threats, while applying actionable intelligence to protect and acquire more customers. With an unparalleled patent portfolio and deployments at major financial institutions and global enterprises spanning over 90 million users to date, Biocatch has established itself as the industry leader. For more information, please visit www.biocatch.com or reach out via email to info at biocatch.com. And now, back to the podcast. In terms of financial services, this is definitely the first major adopter of behavioral biometrics. And in our latest year in review, we saw industry experts point to this vertical market as a major area of growth. What other areas or use cases do you see for behavioral biometrics? Yeah, so today we see behavioral biometrics mostly in account opening fraud, account takeover fraud, and we just talked about social engineering scams. Uh, but I definitely see behavioral biometrics and, and the more advanced behavioral biometrics playing a role in e-commerce payments, you know, with the checkout flow and going into hospitality, potentially leveraged in government as well. And I think the, the opportunities are endless here. One really interesting thing that we see with the data, it's all about the data that we collect and, and the understandings and analysis that can be done over this data. So the opportunity is endless, honestly, way beyond security. But I think for us, I think we will focus on continuing to you know, secure the digital experiences for users. And that's our main focus. Uh, and we definitely see it moving into additional verticals. Yeah. And so our, our year in review survey also saw behavioral biometrics double in popularity as a modality. What factors do you see driving this increased interest for what is essentially an invisible biometric? Right. Um, so I think, you know, we talked about this earlier, the trends and, and the need to provide frictionless solution to end users and, and enhance. And it was interesting to see, I was in a, in a conversation yesterday and they talked about, you know, digital transactions and, and starting with ATM and, and how transactions have evolved over the last 50 years. And now it's not about transactions, it's about digital experiences, right? So mm -hmm. a big, big driver of this uh, frictionless risk-based approach is, is really providing that adaptive user experience. And behavioral biometrics really allows you know, assessing the risk and then making a decision on, you know, how risky is this for the business and are we able to accept this risk? So that that balance is really what I think will drive adoption and the effectiveness of the solution. So I gave an example earlier with the social engineering scams, but we've seen across the board with, with our customers how behavioral biometrics really boosts the ability to detect fraud and and really uh, provides a very high uh, return on investment for them. So I can give a few other examples where, you know, we worked with one of the top credit card issuers in the U.S. And just looking at behavioral biometrics versus traditional device 
authentication controls, we were able to detect 80% fraud as standalone and then over 90% in combination with other tools. So, you know, it strikes me every time when, you know, I see the results of the, in a, you know, the initial deployment with the new financial institution every time, the added value is way beyond expectations. So I think that's going to continue to grow. And that's because of the approach where, you know, the data that we use cannot be replayed or spoofed or, or stolen. It's, it's data that really is able to, to make that distinction between genuine user and fraudster. Mm-hmm. And we've seen behavioral biometrics evolve at an amazing rate over the past five years. How do you expect behavioral biometrics to change over the coming years and what challenges do you expect them to overcome? Yeah, so I think right now it's really about that balance, providing the digital experience. And one um, interesting perspective is really today we treat our customers or you know the, the customers of our customers, really the financial uh, institutions treat users like criminals because they put all these security controls. So mm-hmm. they are able to gain the, the confidence or elevate the trust with invisible means. They could provide a better user experience. And the driver for them is really, you know, what is what is the business that they can uh, drive with this enhancement? So um, there are predictions about business growth by, you know, 15% more or, or businesses that are able to provide this right balance between trust and the level of risk they're willing to take will earn 15% more revenue than those who don't. So that's something that definitely um, is a driver for businesses to adopt uh, behavioral biometrics and these types of control. And I definitely believe that uh, the adoption will be exponential as these services are exploding in the financial industry and, and others, and really all the consumer offerings and you know the API economy is growing. So as we continue to deeper our understanding of user emotional state and intent um, to safeguard genuine user activity, I see this growing. Thank you so much for joining me today. How can listeners get in contact with you and BioCatch to learn more about your solutions and what we talked about today? Um, so yeah, they're you know definitely invited. There are three options. You can go to our website, www.biocatch.com. You can send an email to info at biocatch.com, or you can email myself, um, ayelet.levine, with no E at the end, at biocatch.com. Great. Well, looking forward to continuing to cover what's going on with BioCatch throughout the year, especially with some of the big shows coming up. And thank you so much for spending the time with me today. Thank you, Susan. It's been a pleasure. So concludes Susan Stover's conversation with Ayolette Bigger-Levine, Vice President of Marketing for BioCatch. To learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, please visit biocatch.com. I'd like to thank Susan Stover for conducting today's interview and Ayolette for joining us. Our podcast theme music is by Logamrad. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for joining me on the ID Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.